Hi, and welcome. Buckle up for a new episode of Beyond the Green Line, the only podcast hooking you up for a virtual coffee date with some of the leading change makers, industry experts, and everyday activists in environmental and agricultural sciences. So pop in your headphones, go for a walk, and get ready for inspiration, ideas, insights, and real-life stories beyond the green line we balance along. In this episode, we're talking about professionals working in regional Australia and the vastly different world of remote working after COVID. We chat with Joe Palmer, 2019 National AgriFutures Rural Women's Award winner, founder and managing director of Pointer Remote, an online platform that facilitates remote work opportunities by connecting businesses all over Australia with talented professionals in rural and regional Australia. Hi, Joe. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you here today. So back in 2019, being the Agri Futures Rural Women's Award winner, it's such an impressive accomplishment. Can you tell me about the journey that you went on to get there and where this award took you after you received it? Um, sure. Well, the journey for the award was um, not particularly linear. I um, had actually applied for the award the year before and literally didn't even get an interview. So I, um, when it came around again the next year, I was like, well, I don't know if I want to apply for that this year. But I was like, no, no, this is good. You've got another year under your belt now. So um, apply again and obviously won the state award and then won the national award, So, which was quite hilarious. So I always say that to people that if they, even if they don't sort of get through, go again the next year. Um, I'm very much exhibit A of how things can change in 12 months' time. So um, it has just been the most, um, look, fabulous experience from all aspects of. So I found... Um, the going through the state award was just so fabulous. I had three other women that were doing just such awesome things at a state level that I've stayed friends with. Um, and then the alumni network that the award um, has that is just this complete bonus that I sort of didn't really appreciate going into the process. Uh, but they have just become um, this network of as you can imagine, like powerhouses all across rural Australia. And whenever I'm sort of like, oh, I need to know someone here or meet someone here or has anyone got some sort of connection, like it's just you you, you don't just get one introduction, you're getting plenty. So um, I think that that's been um, unexpected but just by far um, the, the best thing that came out of the award. Obviously, a lot of PR, um, which has been really good. And I think for us, it really gave Pointer Remote um, real legitimacy. And it was quite interesting with the timing scenes, as though I was announced the national winner in, in September 2019. And then three or four months later, we have this global pandemic and everyone's like, oh, wow, weren't you on to something? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was um, really great timing, and I guess moving into COVID straight after that, did you get to go and do a lot of in person stuff, or were you really relying on Zoom and and yeah, um, yeah other forms of video conferencing? Well, yeah, I didn't really get to do a huge amount, so it was sort of um, 
blessing and curse, I guess, as far as, well, they then cancelled the award the next year. So I got to be the national winner for two years. So that was a bonus. But no, I didn't actually get out and about a huge amount. That, that last quarter of, of 2019 was crazy. Like we counted it up, like I did something like 27 flights in three months. Like it was crazy. Uh, but then, yeah, everything, there was fires <laughs> and then COVID. And so it pretty much locked down. So I, again, it was almost like a perfect storm with what was happening in the world fed straight into what we were doing and everything that I'd been pushing for as far as uh, the platform creating access for rural areas, it was done for me on a global scale. And I think um, it reaffirmed to me that I was probably pushing the proverbial uphill pretty hard for the first three years of the business and this mindset change that I thought would happen um, with me chipping away at it, I realistically was in a la-la land really. So it was always going to take something as monumental as this to get the shift that we've happened, um, that, that we've seen, sorry, and I think um, we've pretty much moved it forward a generation and I know that that sounds quite ridiculous and over the top, but I genuinely think it is. People say, oh, you know, 10 years or whatever, but I, I don't think it's been like that. We would have been waiting for, you know, sort of corporate Australia or corporate world, which was very male heavy, very white heavy. We were waiting for them to almost retire or die out before we would be able to to sort of see the mindset change, I think. And so what I think is just so awesome is that a real silver lining of COVID is that those people have been brought with it. Some with feet dragging, a lot with feet dragging, but um, I think that it's just been such an amazing opportunity for people to actually start looking at things differently. And I think what we've really seen over the last two years is that organisations that were sort of like, okay, let's just Band-Aid this, we'll go back to normal soon, like this will sort out, let's just bunker down and get through it. Those companies, as opposed to the people, the companies that were led with by people that were like, hang on, this is this is a line in the sand. Let's do things differently. Let's become more efficient. Let's really broaden our scope on the work we can do, the people we can hire, all of those things. And I think that now, two years later, I can see the organizations that went with that latter attitude are flying. And those that didn't, they're the ones that you're seeing in the media that are really frightened and concerned about this great resignation because I think people are feeling more secure with the economy, with whatever, and they're happy to shift jobs now and they will go to their competitors who are offering flexibility or offering like a hybrid setup or just offering doing work a different way. And I think as horrific as the pandemic has been, that is a massive, massive silver lining. And we've seen uh, people, I, you know, personally I've seen this, um, that people now expect to be able to work remotely and that they're actually turning down jobs where that's not the case. Um, so this is a, a great thing actually for our regions and economic development in our regions is something you're quite passionate about. And your vision for Point to Remote is driven by this passion about how remote work uh, is an economic development tool to attract and retain populations 
in our different regions uh, because we do have this issue with the brain drain. So can you tell me more about your this problem and, and your vision? So I think you're hard-pressed to drive around in rural Australia and see towns bustling and every shop front open in the main street. Like there is towns that are like that and it's so funny when you come across them. Like I've got a couple of towns like Tamora in the Riverina in New South Wales is just my absolute pin-up town as far as um, the place is pumping all the time. You can't get a park in the main street. Most of the shop fronts are full. They've got a really fantastic economic development officer at the council. Like they just, they're really passionate Tamora residents and I love it. Like they shop locally, they do all of those things. But that is not the norm. And I think um, everyone that has grown up in a rural area like I shouldn't say everyone, but for a lot of people, you're sort of almost encouraged, like, okay, you finish high school or you go to boarding school and you go off and do your things, please come back and have your babies and do like life here later. But that sort of almost encouragement to leave. And I think what has sort of ended up happening is that people don't come back and not enough of them are coming back. And so then all of those things that make country towns amazing start sort of falling over. So if the school closes or if the pub closes or if the netball and footy club folds, like it really is really tricky to get those things back up and running. You can do it, but it's a bit trickier to, once you you lose them, it's really tricky to sort of get things moving. But I think what I'm really, I'm, I'm a teacher by trade. And so I think I always sort of by default come back into that education piece. And I taught in small rural primary and high schools um, that a couple of the schools I taught in have closed down just because they didn't have the, the student numbers. And I just, I think that this opportunity that we find ourselves in now is that kids don't need to leave town. You don't need to leave town to do a university degree. You can do that by distance. You can keep playing footy. You can work at the pub. You can do all of those things. Stay where you're your family support is where your friends are and all of those sorts of things. But even doing your degree in the pa- in the past or your training, you could do that. But then when it came to the actual job part, you then still had to move to a regional centre or move to the city. And um, this is where I just see such huge opportunity. Like we're looking at um, running some programs with careers advisors particularly those in rural schools, to sort of say like, okay, these are the opportunities that exist now and you don't sort of have to send kids while it's still, and look, to be honest, going into a trade is like a very good life choice, I think, as far as like uh, running your own show and making plenty of money, uh, building houses and Yeah, rare as hen's teeth at the moment. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So not at all wanting to take away from that, but there is, um, I feel, a huge number of high school students that have the the interest, the intelligence, the drive, all of those motivations to go into a career that there is no job for them in their town and they would have in the past just shelved that and went, okay, well, we don't do that because one, um, even to go even to go to uni in a regional centre now is really tough. There's no accommodation. Uni fees are going up. Like there's just so many different ways to get into careers now that is not just university and that you can do it from where you are and that you can keep living with mum and dad until you can actually enter the workforce and um, and start making your own money and paying rent. But I just I see that as just such a, a huge opportunity to 
retain that population. But then obviously we're also seeing that mass exodus from metropolitan areas in the last couple of years. So, um, like, I, I don't even know where to start with that because while that's fabulous in one hand, um, that you're bringing in new families, fresh blood, um, new skills and all of those sorts of things, um, we've got a, high, a housing crisis in most parts of the country and finding that people that may have sold a house in a metropolitan area that can come in and price out locals, like it's a real inner turmoil, I feel, with like the attraction piece. It's really tricky. So um, while, yeah, I think that there's there's blessings and curses with both, both bits of this, but I think where we really um, are really trying to um, focus a lot of our work on at the moment is that retention piece. Like there's so much intelligence and talent and things that already lives in rural Australia. How do we keep them here? Yeah, keep them and um, have them visible as well. Um, it's definitely a big, big challenge. And one of the things I'm seeing in my industry is that we are getting more and more large uh, project, large infrastructure projects. So we're obviously needing the construction phase and then into the operations, um, particularly in the renewables sector. So we're looking at things like wind farms, solar farms, hydropower. Uh, these projects all require large construction workforces, including professionals, um, who are there from very early in, you know, the um, impact assessment time uh, right through to the construction and then into the operations quite often. So do you see remote working becoming possible in the construction industry? Obviously, we need to build it so we can't have that as a remote workforce. But for the, all the support staff, do you see that as something that might be our future? 100%. 100%. And I think that the, the companies that are already in that mindset are going to be the ones that are winning jobs because they won't be having this workforce challenge. Like their focus can be on, okay, how do we get the boots on the ground jobs filled? Like that's a really obviously how do we get them filled but also where do we put them to live and yeah. how do we sort of make that because, again, yeah, I, that's, that's, that's a whole conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, because we don't want the temporary villages everywhere either. <laughs> no, and, the, yeah, the social issues that come with that as well. So, look, and we don't then want, um, yeah, then jobs finishing and then you've got this ghost town of things. But even on that, like you see some really interesting things so like the mine in West Wyalong is building a huge amount of accommodation at the moment and from what I gather that they're building everything to be set up so that when that finishes in some and or they're not needing as much manpower there that will actually be turned into sort of like a nursing home like they're setting it up so that they can actually then repurpose the the accommodation so don't quote me on that that's what I've what I've heard from some some word on the street um in West Wyalong but that's the sort of stuff like as far as as that um sorry sidetrack but um very much so I think in that construction and engineering industry is just really trying to get out of that mindset of everyone has to physically be there, even your admin staff, your marketing staff, your um, even to your HR staff. Like, yes, you've obviously got some of those HR functions that need to be sort of interacting um, with boots on the ground, but just really auditing 
where your skills physically need to be because then as soon as you can shift out of that like, okay, let's look at this project rather than having specific job titles and descriptions sitting in underneath the project itself, how do you start thinking about, okay, what are the actual skills that we're needing and who has those skills? Can possibly skills that that engineer might have these skills for that part of the project, but they might have skills from other parts that that's a bonus that they're on the ground. But again, do all of the functions that each of those job titles need to be physically there and can you redistribute where people are? I feel like I'm not articulating that very clearly, but it's sort of more drilling down into what are the actual skills that need to be somewhere rather than what's the job title that physically needs to be somewhere. And I think when you start thinking like that, then it opens up your opportunities to, do you know what? You can extend your workday by, say, employing different skills of the business from the West, if your project is based in far North Queensland and you've got, you're employing people that live in Western Australia, like certain stages of the year, your, um, your day is extended by three hours. Like you can have, I don't know, your, your customer facing in inverted commas jobs, um, that are needing to have, be accessible, like on phone and things like that's a, that's something that really actually planning where your workforce is physically located can actually really benefit you. One, you're attracting and getting the skills that you really need rather than being physically um, restricted by having someone that either already lives there or is willing to move there. Um, And you also then get to shift away from that challenge that so many industries find themselves in, like particularly medical and sort of allied health, is the trailing spouse and they're quite a spanner in the works quite often. So even then thinking about your workforce planning is, okay, cool, we need this skill physically boots on the ground, but there's a good chance that there will be a spouse and how do we make sure that that spouse is then either engaging the workforce locally or do they engage in the workforce remotely and how's that, like, again, when you're doing that attraction of of talent into your business start thinking about people as humans. And again, I think that's something that has come out of the pandemic is that people are actually starting to see them as whole life rather than this is their nine to five and what happens after that isn't my problem. But it is. If you can't get people to physically come and live where you need them to live because the spouse is like, well, what am I going to do when you're there? Like you hire an engineer and then her husband's like, well, I'm a I'm a physio and there's no physio there or what can they be doing? Can they be doing something remotely or can they be like are those, that sort of mindset shift I think is, is something yeah. that I don't think about. You brought up something really interesting in that in um, construction we, we have this um, ongoing discussion and possible issue around uh, the number of hours people are often required to work on projects. They can be quite unrealistic at times and I'd never thought about the fact that you just mentioned it, that if we were to pull in a workforce for some aspects of a construction project from the West Coast, where they're still in the middle of their workday when we want to go home, then you're solving that problem. Um, Obviously not for the boots on the ground um, roles, but maybe there are other components where, yeah, you can actually laterally think about how we can solve this problem without forcing or expecting people to work really long hours and therefore resulting in, in burnout later on. 
Mm. And I think that that concept of like, again, thinking of people as humans, which is so crazy that I even have to say that because we don't like we refer to talent. We refer to resources. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well that having a think about what makes an appealing workplace and what are you doing to really, well, make sure say that your culture piece is awesome, but then how are you marketing that in your job descriptions? So realistically, if you're advertising for quite a stock standard role in a certain industry like construction, they know what the job entails. They know the tasks realistically. What we're finding is that the the organisations that advertise jobs with us that take my advice and say, you know what, lay on how good it is to work for you in the opening paragraph of your job description, they are the ones that are having far more success because if you're a chartered accountant, there's relatively a bit of scope as far as you pay. Um, you're doing generally similar stuff, but if you get to work to some with someone, um, an organisation, a team, a manager, owners, partners, all of that, that have a real focus on what it is like to work there and the culture and that sort of stuff, like mate, you are miles ahead of your competitors as far as the attraction of, of team. As a business owner, I know all too well how difficult um, it is to hire talented and experienced staff in environmental science and engineering in regional and remote Australia. So what's your experience of hiring people in my industry into these professional fields? Um, well, look, you can imagine I actually have to end up spending, it actually post-pandemic has been a little less of these phone calls. My first sort of three years in business, I fielded a lot of phone calls from both organisations and individuals looking for remote work, thinking remote mining communities, remote Indigenous communities for nursing jobs, all those sorts of things, because our terminology around remote, that's when Australians think of remote as in outback, as in big cattle station or mining in the desert. Like, and I'd spent a lot of time in the US and so US and and Canada. And so like everyone worked remotely, like remote work was a thing. And it was something I really didn't think through when I came back and started business and named it how I did and was talking about remote work because it was quite confusing. So again, post-pandemic, that concept of, of remote and what that means as far as geographic and the actual, like the, the where you're sitting remotely. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Um, I think has been interesting when you're then dealing with projects that are in a regional, rural or remote physical area and you're then um, toying with what it looks like having people working remotely in that in that thing so I think where you're always going to find challenges in a in a in like that again that construction or where there's needing to be physically people on the tools that's a challenge that is a a challenge there is a workforce shortage globally as far as um as far as people with those physical skills, we've had the borders closed for years, like as far as attracting talent from abroad. But I think that reshaping how you think about things and say, okay, this is the project. This is the human capital, the humans that we have that are physically here. What can we do to relook at what 
the tasks that physically need to be done here and actually auditing, again, auditing the skills that are needed to deliver that project and what jobs, it might be paperwork or reporting or things that the person that you've managed to land that's physically there, you could take off their plate, have someone that's, again, in Western Australia to extend your jade, you can double dip there, but how can you be getting things off their plate that, again, in a traditional job description or job title would have been part of their role? And I think it's that that whole mindset of like shaking up how you actually are getting people to to do their job and who's doing what jobs. So I use the example of um, with a lot of small businesses, they panic being like, oh, well, we can't get people physically into the, the shoe shop in the main street. Like there's just no one will come and work in here. And I'm like, okay, well, but you've got two people that are willing and able and good who can do the on the floor, the customer service, the point of sale, like all of the things with the shop front stuff. But you're also expecting them to do ordering and stock taking and all of these other bits and pieces. Why don't you make them full-time on the floor? And again, put someone in, it might actually mean that the invoicing only needs to happen once a fortnight and someone can be in Kalgoorlie doing that. Like really just rethinking about your physical distribution of labour. Again, that boots on the ground labour to the stuff that could be done outside of nine to five as well. So, mm. And what are the major issues that um, companies then have to deal with in order to actually make it work long-term? You know what the major issue is the boss and the leadership team's mindset. Like that's your biggest challenge, straight up. You All the other things are challenges, but if you've got leadership that is on board genuinely with doing things like this, those other things are hurdles that you can get over in, in different ways. But Again, it's really, really hard to manage this up from the ground up. You've got to have engaged leadership. So that is straight up the biggest challenge that I see. Mm. And traditionally, um, the salaries that people, especially professionals, have been offered in regional or remote Australia, uh, with the exception of specific healthcare people, um, have been quite low, a lot lower, I guess, compared to, say, a Sydney salary. Have you seen any issues around uh, rural and regional companies competing on salary to get city-based but remote workers and, and the expectation of what their salary should be? Uh, yes, yes and no. I think that what we're finding with the the rural businesses that we're dealing with quite often find that they end up hiring someone else rurally because there's that, there is, there is, it's different. There is a different mindset of people that are based in a rural area and quite often, especially those small to medium sized businesses, um, they actually find it really appealing to hire someone else that lives in a similar type of town. It might be 500 k's away, but they sort of get the nuance. Like I use accounting firms are a perfect example because quite often you'll have like a rural accounting firm and an accountant in a metropolitan area, there's so much nuance to dealing with farming businesses or like succession planning and all of those sorts of things that um, – even if someone is applying for a role like that from a metro area, they're um, they're actually not quite often not landing the job. The pay thing has been really interesting. I haven't found so much that the 
rural businesses are missing out to people chasing city wages. I found more of a challenge with city-based companies thinking when they come to us, they're going to get a bargain. And so I do some very, like, like we have a really strong focus on an advocacy piece of you're hiring for the skills. It doesn't matter where they live. Don't think that you can come and get a bargain here. And so that has put a lot of noses out of joint, as you can imagine, but I'm happy to let them go and I'm happy to not take their money. Um, when you, I, again, I just think that that, that is the, the, the perks that you get for not only getting the skills into your business but the additional perks that you get by hiring someone in a rural area is this diversity of thought that comes. It's like we, we've been doing a lot of work around like geographic diversity. Like it is a, it's another form of diversity that I really hammer into our corporate clients' minds about, you know, you're working on gender, you're working on ethnicity, you're working on sexuality, all of these sorts of things you need to start thinking about geographic diversity as being something you need to get into your organisation because a third of the country lives here. So you're potentially marketing things really incorrectly or really missing the mark when you don't have people that think like that in your organisation. So I um, look, I can't, I can only speak for the organisations that we're dealing with with a metro area as far as the advocacy we do as far as trying to get them to pay what they would um, if that person was in Melbourne or Brisbane or wherever. Um, but I think also the the rural businesses, I see, again, that really selling your culture piece. I think people are often willing to take a bit of a hit if they live in a metro area to work for an organisation like that because, again, they've sold what it is to work. Well, and, yeah, I might get a bigger salary, but that bigger salary is making me sit in traffic for an hour and a half each way going into the office, like people are choosing flexibility over salary to an extent. Joe, it has been a pleasure to talk to you and share some of the great work you're doing with our listeners. How can people get in touch with you if they want to know more about Pointer Remote or the training programs that your company offers? Um, You can head to our website, which is pointerremote.com. Um, if you want to find me on LinkedIn, uh, you can just search Joe Palmer on there. I'm on there relatively regularly, but more than happy to talk to more businesses or, or those sort of looking for career opportunities, like more than happy to have you reach out and have a chat anytime. Well, thank you so much. And that wraps up this episode of Beyond the Green Line. Thanks for listening. This has been Chanel gleason Willie, your host. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Green Line, brought to you by Moss Environmental. Subscribe to our podcast for your weekly invitation to join the conversation. Until next time, keep thinking green.